Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's roundtable, where we look back at the big news of the week with three of Washington's top political journalists. And as we gather around the roundtable this Friday morning, February 12, around 8.30 a.m., there's only one big story of the week, the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump, the only president to be impeached twice and the only president to be tried by the Senate twice. Thursday afternoon, after two days of riveting video, audio, quotes, and graphics, Democratic House managers closed their case against Donald Trump. It was a powerful case, but was it powerful enough to persuade 17 Republican senators to vote to convict? Today, Trump's defense team takes over. Can they win the day with their argument that the Senate can't impeach Donald Trump because he's no longer president, he's just a private citizen. Well, let's try to sort it all out with today's panel. Congressional reporter for the LA Times, Jennifer Haberkorn. Hi, Jen. Hi, Bill. Managing editor for Politico, Sudeep Reddy. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. And welcome back also to deputy editor at CQ Roll Call, Jason Dick. Hello, Jason. Hello. Good morning, everybody. So yesterday, after two days of presenting their case, uh, right toward the end, uh, lead manager Jamie Raskin from Maryland summed it up, I thought, very emotionally and effectively, making the case that um, impeachment is not just about punishing the person who did wrong, but preventing that wrong from ever happening again or that person from ever doing it again. Here is Congressman Raskin. My dear colleagues, is there any political leader in this room who believes that if he is ever allowed by the Senate to get back into the Oval Office, Donald Trump would stop inciting violence? Would you bet the lives of more police officers on that? Would you bet the safety of your family on that? Would you bet the future of your democracy on that? President Trump declared his conduct totally appropriate. So, if he gets back into office and it happens again, we'll have no one to blame but ourselves. Pretty powerful statement. Let's just get your take, each of you. Uh, how did the Democrats do in presenting their case? Jen? The Democrats presented a strong case. I mean, there were many Republicans who were moved by the video that they presented, uh, particularly on uh, Wednesday when they uh, showed video that they hadn't shown before. And, uh, it, you know, my colleagues who were in the chamber said that they saw Republicans, you know, they were they were paying close attention. Um, some of them appeared emotional. Um, you know, Mitt Romney saw himself in the video, I'm sure we've all seen it by now, of Officer Eugene Goodman rushing him to safety. Uh, he was headed in the wrong direction toward the rioters. So um, Democrats presented a strong case. Whether it's going to be strong enough to convince 17 Republicans 
that does not appear likely right now. Um, in, in fact, that does not appear likely at all. But, um, you know, with with the cards that Democrats had, had, it appeared that they played them as well as they could have. And Sadiq, uh, they very effectively used um, video and audio and quotes and graphics. So what did you, what's your take on their case? It was clearly a, a riveting presentation. They were uh, extremely strong in organizing the, the uh, multimedia around this, of give, giving people a sense of, uh, of what actually happened. It's almost like if you had taken the 9 11 report and turned it into a, a video and audio presentation rather than a book. This is, this is the equivalent. And this is, I think, going to stand for history uh, as, a, as a documentary of the really awful things that happened and how close we got to something that could have been much, much worse. The, in each of these moments, we were seeing, wow, they were uh, minutes, sometimes seconds away from a, a leading lawmaker or the vice president being uh, taken over by a mob. So um, it's it still, and even the Republicans all acknowledged that the defense for Trump was weak. Uh, some, some of them uh, indicated it was comically weak in the beginning, um, but that, that really just leaves us with the fundamental question we've asked throughout the Trump era. Does anything matter? Um, do the facts matter? Do the, the specifics matter when it's all about the, the political outcomes in the end? Right. Uh, so, Jason, um, your take, uh, they had two days. First of all, they had to win the, con the process argument, which they did, right? And then two days to present the facts of the case. Uh, how'd they do? Uh, I, I mean, I want to agree with, with Jen and, and Sadiq, you know, here, because it is really, um, we're in this unique situation where the people who are uh, sitting in judgment, the jurors, are also the victims uh, of, of the crime. And so it's, yeah. it has set up this really uh, charged dynamic uh, in, in which they're being asked to, you know, sit, sit in judgment, but at the same time, they're reliving uh, tra trauma. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I was concerned about with my team uh, in in the gallery and so forth was how they were going to react to some of these uh, videos, and you know, it it, it was uh, jarring for you know some of my colleagues uh, in the press who realized on on Wednesday just how close they were in in some cases, and these are like you know hard bitten journalists. I mean, right? We don't mm -hmm. scare that we don't scare that easy. Uh, so it, I mean, I I agree. I mean, and also you know the case is relatively easy to make it is a sky is blue case it seems <laughs> mm. um you know all you have to do is is look at the the um at, at what the president said and what his supporters say but also you know th this is just um it, it is one of those things where you it's kind of like you go back in time to your own experiences of close calls like would we really want to see how close we all came to um, you know, harm in a car accident or from, you know, a childhood illness that we didn't fully understand at the time, except that this just happened a month ago. Right. Uh, so, Jen, one of the the challenges was, right, nobody could doubt, because they all lived through it, what happened on January 6th. The real job I thought that the Democratic managers had to make was to connect that violence at the Capitol that day with Donald Trump making that connection. Did they, how did they do on that point, do you believe? You're exactly right. Um, that was the, the challenge facing Democrats. And, you know, talking to some of the Republicans after arguments, they were, they, you can make the argument that they never wanted to believe that that link was there. And I don't think anything Democrats could have said would have 
convinced some of these Democrats to to say that there was a connection and to to say that Donald Trump was responsible. Some of these Republicans you meant to say, I think. Exactly. Sorry. and so, so I mean, we we saw Republicans coming coming out of the Senate chamber saying that they believe Donald Trump, you know, could have could have helped the situation, or um, you know, could have uh, done something different. But none saying that he is responsible for inciting a riot that is a bridge too far for the vast majority of Republicans. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, Senator Mike Lee uh, Sudeep from Utah. Uh, took, I thought, an unusual approach to this. Um, okay, so he did incite violence. So he did send the mob uh, up to the Capitol. So a Capitol police officer was killed. Mike Lee is almost saying, so what? Here he is. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone's entitled to a mulligan once in a while. Hey, what about it, Sudeep? <laughs> right. <laughs> a, a mulligan, that's right. Look, yeah. look, these, these were these are, are members who are looking for a way to to argue their way out of a conviction in this case. They don't even if they see the evidence, they don't want to say that it was Donald Trump's fault. And they're they're trying to find some way to to turn his words to say he did not actually encourage people to go and fight. Uh, he wasn't being literal when he said that. Um, they're finding ways to 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 do this. This is this is not different from what Trump did uh, throughout throughout the period. But the 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 fundamental reality here is they they came into this with a conception of what happened, um, and they know so many lawmakers, Republican senators, know that if they were to convict, then they're going to face. Uh, retribution in the polls themselves. They'll get primary. They'll get attacked uh, uh, by their constituents. And so it's just, it's not worth it for them to make a vote of conscience, as Mitch McConnell calls it. Uh, 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 Jason, I want to come back to um, lead manager Raskin just a second here, because uh, my question to you really is whether there were any one moment uh, or any one set of facts that the Democratic managers presented, which uh, you felt was particularly strong. Um, Here's one I felt was particularly strong. When House manager, lead manager Raskin talked about um, an African-American police officer uh, and his experience. One of our Capitol officers who defended us that day as the marauders punched and kicked and mauled and spit upon and hit officers with baseball bats and fire extinguishers. He defended us and he lived every minute of his oath of office. Overwhelmed by emotion, he broke down in the rotunda and he shouted out, I got called an N-word 15 times today. And then he recorded, what the F, man? Is this America? That's the question before all of you in this trial. Is this America? I thought that was a particularly strong argument, Jason. What struck you uh, the arguments among the arguments they made as maybe some of the strongest? Um, I mean, I, I want to come back to Raskin, too, because like the first uh, d- the end of the first day when he was recounting his um, what his daughter had told him. Oh, wow. When, uh, yeah. I mean, was just really I mean, it's it, I mean, it isn't so much an argument, but an appeal. Um, I mean, but the uh, just the emotional sort of rawness of that moment when his, you know, when he's talking about his daughter, who's an adult, who's 24 years old, 
and saying, you know, when, when we get back to the Capitol and, and she just told him, you know, I don't ever want to go back to the Capitol. I mean, this is somebody who's lived in Washington, in the Washington area, um, you know, grew up here, one of his three children. And it, it just, it, it spoke to that kind of moment. Also, I mean, when you see some of the video footage of particularly from lawmakers perspective too, I mean, there was one, at one point where, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, the Democrat from New York, he he has uh, they, they posted one of his uh, videos about being instructed to get on gas masks uh, in the House chamber. I mean, it's it's just this, you know, these moments that are just sort of seared into our conscious now, uh, if, if you've been paying attention. And then also just the numerous times when people are saying we came here because of President Trump, your boss. Uh, when when mm-hmm. some of the rioters are speaking down to police officers, it's just, I mean, it, it was it was almost too much on that first day with the first thirteen minute video, and then the second day, uh, it it was really um, it was you know it was like watching a snuff film, you know. I mean, when and when we saw the you know Ashley Bobbitt got get shot and killed one of the rioters by Capitol Police, it just sort of re-emphasized just how far we've come, just how far we've come from. Trump saying, oh, beat the hell out of that guy at a rally and I'll pay his legal fees to somebody literally getting shot on camera in the United States Capitol. Jen, um, one surprise was that there was so much mention of Vice President Mike Pence uh, and the video of his, him and his family being rushed out by the, by the Secret Service after hiding for about an hour in a room right off the Senate chamber. Um, why did Democrats um, make Mike Pence so much a part of the presentation, do you believe? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I think the goal there was, um, you know, a lot of Republicans held up Pence as um, the example of what you're supposed to do in this situation in which the president was trying to get him to do something uh, that, that he never had the power to do, which was overturn the election. And uh, uh, Pence stood his ground. Um, you know, Pence had been viewed as perhaps the most loyal soldier to Donald Trump over four years. And at the very end, you know, Pence did not do what Trump wanted him to do. And um, the rioters wanted Pence to pay the price for that. The rioters came into the Capitol saying uh, they wanted to hang Mike Pence. And uh, so I think he was held up by Democrats as a powerful example to Republicans of, um, you know, what what Democrats hope they do now, which is um, cast a vote for conviction. Mm -hmm. And maybe uh, just uh, create that edge or that difference, right, between the Pence Republicans and the Trump Republicans. Uh, I'm sure they were trying to use him uh, as right. a little bit, little bit of of leverage there. Uh, Sudeep, uh, some people still say, "Well, this is a waste of time because we knew this how this trial was going to turn out anyway." But um, is there a bigger goal or a, another goal in this trial uh, other than? just to impeach Donald Trump? Yeah, I think the, the, the basic rule of law is the question here of do, does, is there any accountability for, uh, for actions? If you didn't, if the, if the Democrats did not even go forward with impeachment, then this is the kind of, of moment that could fade. And now they've really put down a marker to show in really just incredibly stark detail what happened that day and um, who stoked it and who and how close we came to an even worse disaster for for the nation so that will stand and that is those are the the kinds of clips that will come up over and over it's the kind of thing that will be 
uh, marked in memory, a, a president impeached twice. Um, and it, it does show that if if Trump were to run again, um, which he's he's teasing, then this will become a central question in all of this. Is he going to uh, encourage violence? Is he going to tell his supporters to, to go after whoever opposes him? Um, that is the authoritarian uh, strongman approach that uh, that he used throughout the election season. And um, as as a number of, of presenters said, he would do it again. And he, he doesn't think he did anything wrong in this case. Right. Uh, that will hang over Donald Trump. It will also hang over uh, the Republican Party, which is trying to decide uh, what they do about that, which I want to get into uh, a little bit later, maybe uh, after after the break. But uh, so, Jason, today, um, the defense team, Donald Trump's uh, defense uh, uh, led by Bruce Castor and David Schoen, uh, come back to to, to, to present their side of the case. They got off to a rip-roaring start uh, on Tuesday um, with Bruce Castor, who um, he said that the Democrats did such a great job that they decided they were changing, and Bruce Castor was going to go first, they were changing their lineup instead of David Schoen. Um, we still haven't figured out why they made that change, but here is Mr. Castor. I'll be quite frank with you. We changed what we were going to do on account that we thought that the House manager's presentation was well done. Nebraska, you're going to hear, is quite a judicial thinking place. What? <laughs> uh, the, the, the mystery continues to this day. Um, the, you know, kind of the uh, this great, uh, you know, kind of uh, politically active T-shirt place in Des Moines called Ray Gun Shirts has already has their shirts up uh, that say Nebraska colon a judicial thinking place, quite a judicial thinking place. Um, it is really um, like it really one of the strangest. Uh, uh, opening arguments, I think any of us have seen. I mean, I'm not a court reporter, uh, but I've but I've done, you know I've done jury duty and and been <laughs> been in a lot of these situations. I have never seen anything like this before. I mean, it was like avant garde uh, <laughs> lawyering, and you know th this is also what happens when nobody wants to represent you. You get the you know like the the guys on the waiver wire. You know, Bruce Castor famously did not charge Bill Cosby after credible allegations of sexual assault. You know, David Schoen, you know, very famously, you know, counseled Jeffrey Epstein. So, I mean, you know, th this is not, um, uh, this is not the A squad um, you know, of, uh, of uh, trial lawyers, but it also may not matter um, because when you have people uh, who are committed to not convicting uh, Donald Trump, then, it, it, you know, they could just stand, sort of stand up and say, uh, my opponents are, you know, their argument is BS. We rest, you know. I mean, like that. Probably they could, they could do that. They could do their their closing in about five seconds, and they still not get sixty seven votes. Right, uh, and it seems that uh, Jen, we're coming back to today to the defense that they're going to, from what we've heard, repeat the same arguments that they made unsuccessfully in Tuesday. Again, maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, namely, um, that uh, the Constitution prevents impeaching a person who is no longer in office, and the First Amendment allows Donald Trump to say whatever the hell he wants. 
You're right. And to Jason's point, um, these Republicans really just need um, an argument to hang their hat on, and they found it in the constitutionality um, argument, which, of course, is dubious. Legal experts say that um, the Constitution absolutely does allow the Senate to hear this impeachment trial. But Republicans really just need an exit ramp here to, in order to, to vote um, uh for acquittal, and they feel like they have that. So as long as Trump's attorneys, um, you know, I, I would say, you know, don't set themselves on fire. On the Senate <laughs> That's floor, exactly what I was thinking. They, they could. They, could. <laughs> they would be fine with it. Right. After yeah. watching that opening, um, you know, anything is possible. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we know that several GOP senators met with Trump legal team yesterday so presumably they are giving them some pointers yeah. that don't profoundly you know uh that try to mention every senator and say something positive about them just kind of get to the point make some arguments that we can uh echo on meet the press or wherever they want to go after this and uh that that's all they really need to do and they're going to win so um this this in some ways it's an easy win for Trump's attorneys so much for impartial jurors right so right. uh so deep what about the myst- to me the mystery man here Mitch McConnell who said early, early a couple of weeks ago that the uh, mobsters were uh, inspired by, right, incited by the president of the United States, who said that he thought it was important to go ahead with impeachment in the House, uh, and yet voted against proceeding with this trial. It, what's up with McConnell? What do you think? Could he be a surprise vote to convict? He absolutely could be one of those surprises uh, uh, that comes out. I, I, I still imagine we might get uh, uh, maybe as many as as uh, eight or ten Republicans who vote to con- convict, which would certainly be more than we've seen indicated so far, uh, partly because of what he has said all along, that this is a vote of conscience. Mitch McConnell, when he wants to block something, he makes very clear that he's going to block it. Um, he's actually uh, he- he's been fine getting out on the Senate floor and saying uh, X, Y, Z is not going to go forward. Um, and in this case, the fact that he has, has uh, been a-, a little more careful shows that he recognizes the, the the gravity of this moment, and he was uh, pretty pretty angry that day to see a mob turned on him uh, by the president. And the fact that he has not talked uh, to Trump and does not want to talk to Trump ever again is is the indication of of how he sees uh, sees this moment in history as well. So, uh, does anybody expect to see any witnesses? No, we're done, right? Think so. It- it certainly seems like that. I mean, from the, what the managers were saying as they, you know, as they wrapped up yesterday, it sounds like the, you know, they're they're kind of fine with the the fact that the witnesses were broadcast for three days in a row, um, and also some of again some of the jurors themselves are witnesses. Uh, it would it would draw it out a little bit more, which I don't think um, they they think will you know make any big difference in in conviction rate uh so in a or in in votes for conviction so it seems like we're done and certainly the how the the trump's team doesn't you know anticipate calling any witnesses do you agree jen i do 
um, yeah. to exactly the points Jason laid out. Right. Okay. And on that uh, point of agreement, uh, let's move on to the trial to, uh, is there anything else going on in Washington? You're damn right. And we'll talk about that here uh, after a quick break. Today's podcast and today's roundtable with uh, Jennifer Habercorn from the LA Times, Sudeep Reddy from Politico, Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call. And today's roundtable brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the great men and women of the Teamsters Union, over a million and a half strong, America's largest and most diverse of all of our labor unions under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. Uh, they represent just about every uh, group of workers you can imagine in this country, everybody from A to Z, as they say, from airline pilots to zookeepers. We congratulate them and thank them for their good work and especially for their support of the Bill Press Pod. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we're back here uh, at the end of the week with today's roundtable, looking at the big events of the week. Jason Dick joins us from CQ Roll Call, Sadiq Reddy from Politico, and Jennifer Habercorn from the uh, L.A. Times. If we're three days into the uh, Trump second Trump impeachment trial, we're three weeks into the Biden uh, administration. Um, COVID, of course, has been the president's number one priority and where he has spent uh, most of his time talking about that. Uh, overall, Jen, uh, your take on the first three weeks of Biden. 
Sure. Um, you know, I'm thinking specifically about the COVID bill. Obviously, this is going to be Biden's first big legislative um, agenda item. And the stimulus you know, package, right? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, they're looking at a $1.9 trillion package. Um, and so far, they're keeping Democrats together, which is um you know, they, they've they've eschewed working with Republicans. Um, they're going to do this fast track legislative process, which allows them to avoid a, the chance of a Republican filibuster. So his challenge is going to be keeping Democrats from, you know, Joe Manchin, the, the most moderate to the most progressive uh, members of the House together. And so far, they've been able to do that. It looks like they're going to be able to keep them together. I'm sure there's going to be stumbles along the way. I mean, we're after the impeachment trial wraps up, we're really going to turn to some of the hairy details, which are going to be difficult. But um, so far, in terms of keeping Democrats aligned, the Biden administration seems to be doing a pretty good job of uh, of keeping everyone singing from the same songbook. So uh, that's going to be a challenge throughout his administration, but it's getting off to a pretty good start. So deep, just in terms of governance, right? I mean, where we got used to the last four years, like a crisis per hour. Um, this looks like, oh, I, I don't want to go too far, but almost like a well-oiled machine so far. Would you agree? So far, it's it's doing the opposite of what the Trump uh, presidency did, which was trying to, to create uh, an incident a day. There was always something, and and with the the Biden crew, they're they're very uh, focused on very specific things. It's it's a level of discipline we obviously haven't seen in the last four years. Uh, but the the fact that Biden each day is doing something about this aid package and and putting everything on this aid package. The fact that he's talking about vaccines each day. He's starting to do meetings about infrastructure, something that won't come up uh, for for months. Uh, maybe even not even till the fall, but he's he's uh, very carefully laying the groundwork for larger policy to come after the COVID relief package. Um, there are still plenty of things um, that that can go wrong. He's had a bit of a, a distraction when everyone's focused on an impeachment trial this week. Uh, we're we're just twenty, I think, twenty four days in now uh, to the Biden administration, so um, it, it's it's kind of like they've had a chance to ramp up. Um, while the vaccine also ramps up, which is what everyone wants to know about these days. Right. Uh, Jason, we also learned a little bit of troubling information yesterday uh, about when the president, President Trump then, was rushed out to Walter Reed um, when he had been diagnosed with the COVID uh, vaccine, uh, the COVID disease. We were told uh, that he was in good form. There was just a precaution that he'd be taken to the hospital. Turns out that wasn't the case, right? Right. It was far sicker uh, than than we were led to believe uh, the New York Times was uh, reporting. And um, I mean, as far as like, you know, great, great, great that we do know that. Uh, I think we all kind of suspected it, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. just how, uh, you know, when we started seeing the reports of, you know, them using Regeneron and all these like, you know, experimental uh, uh, procedures and therapies and so forth. It was, you know, it just sort of brought up these images of like, you know, just, you know, almost like a science fiction project of keeping him alive. Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, to me, it sort of encapsulates a lot of what we came to, to see in the Trump administration, which was, it was far worse than we thought <laughs> at any moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, he kind of uh, skated by and, and avoided the worst effects of it.
Right. Uh, and uh, several reporters, uh, White House reporters, have been um, have remarked since that this is just one more case, right, of uh, the big lie being told to uh, the White House press corps. So I want to go back to circle back to something that we talked about as uh, a spillover, if you will, from the impeachment trial, which is where does the Republican Party go from here? Do they see their future as sticking with Donald Trump or breaking from a Donald Trump? Um, and let me just throw, get your thoughts, but throw a couple of things on the table uh, that I think are indications of one way or the other. Uh, Sudeep, in Politico this morning, you report uh, that um, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina and former um, ambassador to the UN, uh, said, told Politico, we shouldn't have followed him. It was a big mistake to follow Trump down the path that he led us. Uh, pretty significant. Uh, Reuters reports that um, a couple of days ago, 120 former Republican officials from the Reagan, Bush, and Trump administrations uh, had a big Zoom call to talk about forming a new Republican Party, to a breakaway party from the Republican Party, because they're so disgusted that today's Republicans uh, will not break from Trump. And the New York Times reported yesterday that Republicans in 25 states where they have records of such, that Republicans are leaving the Republican Party in droves and re-registering either as Democrat or Independent. So where's the Republican Party go from here? What do you think? Um, Mitch, you know, uh, where do we start? Who's up first? Sudeep? Yeah, absolutely. You know, all this makes me makes me think of the, the dream some people have of, of breakaway parties and forming a parliamentary system and having multiple parties battle it out. Uh, we're, we're certainly seeing divisions uh, within uh, Republicans who are not in office. Uh, we're not really seeing uh, intense divisions amongst the, amongst the ones who are. There are obviously just a handful who are, are breaking away. I, I do think the 2024 race uh, will be about the pro-Trump and anti-Trump camp. And um, this is Nikki Haley positioning herself uh, as, as somebody who thinks we can move beyond Trump. Um, it's, a, it's, I think, a big bet that he uh, won't be around and relevant to take her on and, and take her down uh, in that moment. But there are others, the, the Josh Hollies of the world, who have obviously positioned to try to to inherit that base, that very powerful base, and uh, and use it to to build his career. And that's what all of this is about. It's about who thinks they can use the Trump base in a way that benefits them the most. Jen, Mitch McConnell could uh, have a big impact on which way we go. Correct. Absolutely. You know, I was really expecting this impeachment trial to be a little. I was expecting more Republicans to come out against the president, and what better way than a conviction vote? But if this vote goes the way we're expecting, you know, a handful, maybe two handfuls of Republicans voting to convict, that's not a big breakaway. You know, no. if, Mitch, if Mitch McConnell wanted to break with Trump and have the Republican Party return to the pre-Trump era, which, you know, we can question whether that's possible. But if he wanted to do that, he could. He could whip his members. And if, if McConnell were on board and if he wanted to do this, I'm sure he could come up with 17 senators who would vote for oh. conviction. But he doesn't want to do that. And even if he were to vote to convict, um, which I, I think is, is a bit of a long shot, um, he's not putting the muscle into it. And so um, it, 
among elected Republicans, Trump just holds tremendous sway. They're they're afraid that if Trump is against them, they're never going to win election again. And that's what's driving them right now. Right. So is there a Republican Party post-Trump or is it just the Trump Party, Jason? Give you the last word. Um I mean, I I'm te I tend to think that this will um, this will end with you know the Trump forces you know kind of in charge of it. I just don't think that there's enough energy you know with the the anti-Trump people. I mean, it's not to say that they're not they don't feel strongly like somebody like Liz Cheney uh, has artic and Adam Kinzinger have articulated mm -hmm. their anti-Trump positions rather forcefully and articulately. But there's and just ben, not, ben, ben Sass. I think and, we have to add and, uh, right and Ben Sass. But there's just not enough of them. Uh, and and they're they're outnumbered, and the, the the sort of voters that Republicans need to have like a big electoral effect come from people who are really excited and charged up by by Trump's brand of politics. So I I don't th I think that I think Trump has already won. Mm. Well, uh, okay, we'll leave it there for now, except that, you know, look, we were all transfixed by this uh, trial today, but still, uh, we read a lot of stuff, look at a lot of stuff, and there are things that pop out at us, pop out at us, even in the middle of an impeachment trial uh, that strike us as something we want to remember, or maybe tell others about. We call it our favorite story of the week. Uh, Jennifer, what struck you? So I'm going to point to a Washington Post story. Two officers who helped fight the Capitol mob died of suicide. Many more are hurting. Mm. Um, obviously gets at the issue of um, the Capitol Police Force and the severe mental health repercussions um, that the, the force is feeling in the wakes of the January 6th insurrection. Yeah, that was very striking. And by the way, I have to say, I thought one of the most powerful moments in the trial uh, so far was when David Cicilline from Rhode Island talked about the Capitol Police, the janitorial staff, the secretarial staff, the whole, the the, the healthcare, uh, the kitchen workers, and all the people who work around the Capitol. And he basically told the senators, think about them when you vote, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning... If you don't vote to convict, you are basically sticking your finger in their eye, right? You are, they want you to vote to convict. I thought, so picking up on, on your point there. Uh, Sudeep, what caught your attention? You know, I'm going to actually uh, leave Washington for a moment and, uh, and look at, uh, <laughs> at, at Europe. Uh, Europe's oldest known person, a nun named Sister Andre, oh. beat the oh. virus uh, and turned 117 years old. Mm. Um, she was in a facility that uh, that was uh, hit before they could be vaccinated, and uh, it's it's one of the few uh, positive stories that we're seeing in this moment of of uh, of people making it through as the vaccination effort around the world is still so slow. And so uh, it's one of those things that, uh, that, that wasn't uh, uh, quite as, as uh, exciting as the, the famous uh, cat filter uh, on the lawyer. I'm sure everyone <laughs> saw that this week, uh, which was, I think, my favorite moment of the week. But it was one that actually, I think, got a lot of attention in the last day and, and shows that we're, we're finally getting through some of this. Uh, well, if I may jump in there, too, because that would have been one of my favorite stories of the week, too. You stole it from me. <laughs> but uh, so I just want to uh, add to that um, that her birthday was yesterday. So we all say a belated happy birthday to Sister Andre. Um, and um, she had quite a birthday celebration, uh, Sudeep, as you probably know. Uh, this is what was her birthday party. She started out with 
a glass of port wine, followed by foie gras with hot figs. <laughs> then she moved on to the main course, which was roasted capon with mushrooms and sweet potatoes, followed by a two-cheese platter, Roquefort and goat cheese, with several glasses of red wine. And that was topped off by her favorite dessert, a raspberry and peach-flavored baked Alaska with a glass of champagne. Living her best life at 117 years old. Look at that. At God, that age, you can eat whatever you want. I say God love her. Uh, you know, and but also, I want to say this to you, my friends. Um, for my birthday, don't wait until my 117th birthday. <laughs> I want all of that on my next birthday. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right, Jason, you're up. <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I also have a, a sort of a COVID related one, which, uh, which has a, uh, a sharp edged happy ending. Uh, <laughs> our, uh, our, our former colleague, uh, John Stanton, longtime Capitol Hill reporter, uh, is now the editor of the, of the gambit in new Orleans, which is the, uh, news weekly down there. Uh, I don't like to say alternative news weekly because it's not an alternative to anything necessarily. Uh, but anyway, John is uh, who, I've, who I've known for you know about twenty years now, and and have worked with him at Roll Call and, and at National Journal before that. He's the editor of the Gambit, and he ha- in his editor's note earlier this week, he took to task uh, this tour company that had uh, scheduled and was soliciting a bar crawl uh, to get around the mayor's orders uh, for shutting down the bars on Mardi Gras, which is Tuesday. Um, and and he just, in, in the way that Stanton, only Stanton can um, both report and sort of eviscerate you, uh, I mean, it's it's some of, you know, it, it harkens to some of the, his best writing uh, and, you know, sort of taking the, the tour company to task, the mayor for not being strong enough, uh, the planning commission, I mean, he, he sort of wrapped it all up in the way he does. And the nice thing is, is that after that, the tour company canceled uh, oh. this this bar crawl, uh, you know, which, which yeah. really had the potential to become a super spreader event. You know, John got into that about like how this is not just, you know, as as he said, you know, catering to tourists and morons, uh, but also this is about service sector people who are being put in a terrible position because their their bosses, you know, want them to get all this money that as much money as they can in a tough situation, of course. You know, with lockdowns, but and and they and they did, and and I thought like this is a great example of using like your pulpit um, and and the yeah. the platforms that we have to do a good thing. So, congrats, John. That was that was my favorite story of the uh, uh, week, and be, and because you know I figured everybody would do the cat filter thing too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well for my story, I will. Uh, so I have to move on from Sister Andre. Uh, and so I'm going to go from Sister Andre to, believe it or not, Larry Flint. Um, Larry Flint, of course, the publisher of Hustler, who died this week at the age of 78. Uh, I'm not here to praise him for Hustler, uh, but I am here to praise him for his defense of the 14th Amendment. He became an, an um, unusual, if you will, unexpected champion of the 14th Amendment when Hustler was sued, you may, some of you may recall, for a story, um, it's kind of a, par- a parody that they published 
about Jerry Falwell having sex in an outhouse with his mother. Uh, a disgusting piece of trash. Uh, but he said he had the right to publish it. Uh, Jerry Falwell, of course, sued him. And Larry Flint won. Uh, this happened just about the time I came to, here's the personal side of this, I came to Washington as a co-host of Crossfire. Uh, Larry Flint was a guest on Crossfire uh, via satellite, and then I actually met Larry Flint at a White House correspondence dinner. I'll never forget that scene. I walked into one of the cocktail receptions, and there was Larry Flint in a gold wheelchair. He was handicapped in a gold wheelchair. And sitting on his lap was Susan McDougal <laughs> of Whitewater fame. Uh, and I thought to myself, oh, man, this is I'm not not in California anymore. <laughs> this is about as wild as it could possibly get at any rate. That that image will stay with me uh, forever. Uh, Sudeep Reddy, Jennifer Habercorn, Jason Dick, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Great to be with you. Great to be here. Always good to have you guys back. And thank you all for listening. Uh, so for the weekend, uh, you've got your homework, uh, which is uh, to in today for day three and then for the debate and the final vote in the impeachment trial. But more importantly, uh, listen to what the CDC, listen to what the president is saying, to what Dr. Fauci is saying. It ain't over yet. So wear your mask, double mask, practice your social distancing, stay safe, stay strong, stay sane, and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.